Thanks for tuning in today to localjobnetwork.com radio, where you can find all of your favorite employment-related shows. My name is Katie Chesney, and on Employment Notebook, we provide advice and insight into different strategies for succeeding in the workplace. And today we are talking about achieving a life-work balance and how that can help you in your career. And joining us today, we have Lisa Rangel, and she is the founder of Chameleon Resumes, where they are an all-recruiting-based resume writing company. So Lisa, thank you for joining the show today. I found it interesting that you call it life-work balance and not work-life balance. So can you explain why you switched it up? First of all, Kate, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really thrilled to be here. I, you know, it just dawned on me one day that through coaching programs I've been through and, you know, so many self-help articles I read and things like that, that you're supposed to put priorities in order and, and what should go first is what you focus on first. And yet we called it work-life balance, you know, trying to get balance in our lives. And I, I was like, you know, we should do life-work balance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if we're putting it first, in theory, then we can focus on it first. And I initially, you know, worked with a coach like three, four years ago. I was trying to reorganize my business. And she's like, so what do you want the business to look like? And I was like, well, I don't know what you mean. And she's like, well, how do you want it to support your life? And I was, it was just a mind-boggling, <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. embarrassed to say it was a mind-boggling question because my life always supported my work, my job. And um, versus the other way around. So she really helped me switch that around. And I realized it can also apply to not only entrepreneurs, but executives, staff level employees. And it really can help apply to anyone, regardless of what their employment situation is or work situation is. It's just a matter of how it's prioritized. Mm -hmm. And what does that life work balance look like for you? And and is this something that, um, you know, how it works for you? Is that going to work the same way for someone else in your organization? Or is it really just on an individual basis? No, I think it depends on, you know, what the person values. You know, know, I call myself a a recovering workaholic. I was pretty much always working and and I did love it. And I still have those tendencies, Mm -hmm. you know, for me. I do embrace the fact that I love to work. It charges me up. It, my brain just is always going. But I personally have to feel that I'm probably not doing enough work every day. If I feel like I'm not doing enough work every day, I'm probably doing life work balance right. <laughs> <laughs> because my instinct is to work all mm-hmm. the time, despite you know, having a great husband, awesome kids, a family, and you know uh, a great community that I live in. It's just what I love to do. So part of it is accepting who I am. And, you know, if I really want to do something, just making sure that my other priorities are met in other ways. But, you know, with individuals that that work with me, I value weekend time. I don't contact people on the weekends. Or if I happen to work for two hours on a weekend because it works for me and I took a lot of time off during the week, I make sure that anyone who works with me, vendors, uh, staff level individuals, that I'm like, if I send you an email on Saturdays only because I'm trying to get some stuff off my plate, don't answer it till Monday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just don't think you have to respond. Like I'm very clear about it, and I and I know with employees at at organizations, and the article that you discovered um, that I have on my LinkedIn publishing site. You know, there were some comments of you know that sounds great if you know you own your own business or if you're an executive, but you know what do staff level people do? And and I you know I think there's an ex- a level of acceptance you have to have about what your employer needs and and even why you're joining that particular employer. But I think having boundaries that you respect yourself and hold yourself, most employers do respect that when you're doing your job in Mm -hmm. other ways. But I think if you always make yourself available at 10 o'clock at night, even though it's not a requirement, when you stop doing that, then 
to become used to it. If you were maybe not available at 10 o'clock in the first place, a PM, uh, 10 o'clock PM in the first place, you, you may, and, and it's okay then mm-hmm. that you answer in the morning. Get a sense of how much you can put in place and what's really going to be essential and what's really going to be something that you can put off until the morning. But I think we live in such immediacy-driven, you know, environment mm-hmm. that we don't ever try that out. Mm-hmm. Now, what I'm really kind of just reading between the lines here, I think you're saying that maybe even when you're starting a new job, something important to do to really set yourself up for success here is to set expectations and set those boundaries from the get-go. So if you don't start working at 10 p.m. at night, there's just an expectation that if you email that person or if you're the person getting emailed at 10, you're not going to answer. It'll be answered the next day. So your employer has that expectation that it'll be answered the next day rather than right away. Yeah, and, you know, and if you get feedback that where were you last night kind of thing, then clearly mm-hmm. maybe it's an adjustment you have to make. And, you know, is that the right job for you? And, you know, is it something you maybe have to make a choice to do for a couple of years to pay your dues and then get your balance in other ways? You know, mm-hmm. maybe make sure you work out in the morning or make sure that um, you're working out or taking care of yourself and before the 10 o'clock email comes, you know. Right. Um, you know, there is a level of acceptance that you have to, in order to, to meet the needs of your job or your organization if it's an entrepreneur situation, you know, and serving clients. But at the same time, I do believe people have more power than for their own destiny, not to sound all cliche-ish, but I think people do have the power to set their own boundaries and they don't give themselves enough credit and mm-hmm. they're able to do so. Okay. You know, and that could be rooted in fear or, or, you know, insecurity or whatever the case may be, but mm-hmm. I've seen it happen and and it also doesn't have to cost money. It doesn't have to come in the form of having an executive job so now you can spend on a gym or you can spend on help. It can come in the form of, you know, going outside to run, you mm-hmm. know, and that doesn't cost anything. It can come in the form of exchanging babysitting services with a fellow parent that needs help to get things done as well. So, you know, it can be a barter situation. You know, that's how my summer has survived, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> um, the little mom connection that we're all helping each other out. And, you know, my kids are older. They're in the preteen stage, so it's a little easier than maybe somebody with a toddler. But there's ways of doing things that don't always have to cost money as well. Um, right. It may take a little ingenuity and a little hustle. But, you mm-hmm. know, it, it, I think it, if it's something a person values, they'll find a way to make it work. Yeah. So you referenced your article earlier. Um, and in your article, you kind of mentioned that companies want balanced employees. So why are companies looking for a balanced employee and kind of what does that allow that employee to bring to the table? A company will never say they want it. Mm-hmm. But if you're burnt out and if an employee is burnt out, angry, resentful, that will never be a productive person for that particular organization. And, you know, it leads to turnover, it leads to lack of productivity, it leads to poor results. So they want individuals who are strong enough to stand up for themselves in a diplomatic manner, you know, not in a uh, bratty manner, mm-hmm. to take care of themselves. You know, they companies, even those that make the lists of, you know, the top, you know, happiest places to work and that those types of lists, they right. will take as much as they can. Mm-hmm. But it's up to us as employees to put the limits in place. Okay. And in a healthy manner and in a productive manner mm-hmm. and know where we can do that. If employers want individuals who can, I mean, I know even for myself when I hire vendors, you know, I want individuals who say, I can't do that. Can, can we do this? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and even if, if the alternatives that they present don't work, I can still find a resource elsewhere to do it. But to tell me that I, you can do it and then not do it, be too tired to do it, do it poorly because you're tired, 
sniff at me when I give you feedback. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And so, you know, and I, I worked in corporate and I, I've been that burnt out person and I realized how part of that was my fault. I let myself get exhausted. And I could have taken better care of myself to be a better employee mm-hmm. see it now that I run my own business. I've seen it where that I've done it well and I've seen where I've done it poorly. Okay. In my own business and as an employee in, you know, both the positive and the negative. So and I've experienced it from employees, from clients, from vendors in both positive and negative ways as well, you know, where they just stood up for themselves and where they just let themselves get exhausted and make make promises they couldn't keep. So you mentioned earlier, and I would just want to look at as far as achieving this life-work balance, you mentioned earlier, um, you know, hitting the gym and really determining your boundaries and your priorities and kind of just taking a stand, but taking it in a diplomatic way. Now, um, in your article, you also mentioned learning to outsource and delegate as a way that you can achieve this life-work balance. So could you touch on why that is so important and kind of some of the challenges that people face when they're trying to do that? I think if it's somebody who's maybe a a recent college grad or starting out, Mm -hmm. you know, um, there's some challenges sometimes in in a fiscal manner, you know, where you don't have the money to pay somebody or, but given that everybody's kind of at your, maybe all from your friends and, and family members, if, if you're feeling that you have others in the same boat, again, I mentioned like the delegating component, you mm-hmm. know, uh, I mean, the, the bartering component, you can exchange services or help each other out or use websites like Elance or Fiverr, you know, where you can get something done somewhat inexpensively if it's, it's more of a, an administrative task or, you know, there's websites like that help you with errands, you know, that are not mm-hmm. necessarily expensive. It's just a matter of some ingenuity and some creativity in order to come up with ways to get things off your plate that either are too time-consuming for you, that still free you up to do the things that are more important, things that you don't like to do, or you're not good at it, so some, get someone else who is. You know, So if it pay somebody for an hour of time, it saved you five hours because you weren't very good at it. So mm-hmm. I think that for entrepreneurs, executives, or employees, that's, that's important. I mean, just on a personal level, I've, I'm I'm a horrible housekeeper. Like, <laughs> I hate it. I'm not great at it. I mean, I'm not a very person by any means, but it's just not my stick. And right. I mean, even five years ago when I lost my job and was starting a business, my husband and I both started businesses in 2009, I did not let the housekeeper go because I was like, I know that this will help me build a business mm-hmm. and they're better at it and I'm terrible at it. So, you know, what types of things like that can you make some sacrifices to make sure that you're getting your time spent in the most productive manner. And um, another thing that you mentioned is removing things in your schedule that make you look busy, but they're really just not actually things that need to be done or they're just there to kind of make you feel like you're busy, but at the end of the day, they don't really contribute to the end product. So what should you remove from your calendar and how should you kind of go through that process? You know, about seven, eight years ago, it may even be a little longer. I worked with a coach is the time management type of person. Um, at least that's where we started out with uh, before we got into sales training. It was how I was spending my time. And he had me literally take like a piece of paper and in 15-minute increments write down what I did during the day. If I find myself feeling overwhelmed, I still pull out that tool, so to speak, which mm-hmm. literally is just a blank piece of paper. And I, you know, write down the times of the schedule. And it just helps me determine, like, it's amazing how with today, I mean, even checking Facebook, you know, or, and, and, you know, and those sound like cliche things that you can drop, but sometimes they're productive just to get your mind for ideas or to escape or, you know, so I'm not saying cut everything out and everything's got to, everybody's got to be a productivity machine, but really look at 
how you spend your day. And, and, you know, sometimes even things that seem productive are not necessarily moving your goals forward. So if you have like two or three top goals that you want to accomplish, look at what the activities are that you write down for those two days. And don't judge, you know, just write. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're on LinkedIn for 20 minutes and or if you're on LinkedIn for an hour, don't judge if it was productive or non-productive. Just write it down and you can start to see, one, where your day goes. Two, you can see if it's really productive. Three, you can really see how long things take. That's the one, you know, I'm, I, that was one of the biggest lessons for me is, you know, I was constantly overbooked when I, before I hired this gentleman, a few mm-hmm. years, you know, eight, seven, eight years ago. And I, it was because I was really underestimating how long things would take, you know, right. commuting to different meetings or projects or writing an email. Writing an email didn't take five minutes. Writing emails sometimes take 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And if you multiply that misjudgment by, you know, 15 activities a day, that now, now, now you know why you're overbooked. Right. So it helps judge those three areas where you're then better, you're just better focused with your time mm-hmm. and making sure you're choosing the items that are supporting your goals. Now, what is the biggest challenge that job seekers face? And maybe not even job seekers, but employees and employers, what do they face when they're trying to have this life-work balance? I think that we just alluded to it a little bit earlier. We live in such a time-crunched, immediacy-driven have to respond now type of, you know, culture that it's almost, especially in America, it's, it's almost viewed negatively when you don't respond fast mm-hmm. or you do take a minute to think about it, you know, or right. um, you need to say to somebody, I'm not sure, let me get back to you. Like, for some reason, we've shifted to a culture where those types of responses are not viewed favorably. And I think there's this backlash now where that is now starting to be viewed as mindful and, and favorable and you know, that you're not just off the cuff all the time. Now, don't get me wrong, there's value in making quick decisions and not, you know, taking your time with everything. Mm-hmm. But some decisions really need some, like, percolating in your brain kind of time. And you do come up with better ideas when you can separate yourself from a situation and think about it for a minute and come back. Okay. I think that there's a challenge with public earnings call, you know, mm-hmm. um, earnings calls and public information, um, high expectations and, you know, constant demands for growth and there can never be a bad quarter, you know, which right. is unrealistic, mm-hmm. that it's just hard to set those boundaries out of fear that you may miss something or you may not produce. Mm-hmm. When in actuality, it, I think, helps people produce and you really won't miss much because there'll always be another opportunity. I think that is a uh, good tip for our listeners. So we are up against the clock today. So I just wanted to give you the last 30 seconds or so to share a final piece of advice or a tip or suggestion with our listeners on this topic of achieving a life-work balance. If your gut is telling you to, you know, step back from something, then just, you know, trust it. And even if it doesn't go well, know that there'll be another opportunity for you to honor yourself in that same type of decision. I think that's really the key is to trust your gut. And with that final piece of advice, we will close out the show for today. So if you're looking to get in touch with Lisa, you can reach her at chameleonresumes.com or connect with her on social media. And to find more employment-related shows, head over to aljanradio.com. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future shows, send me an email at aljanradio at localjobnetwork.com or send me a tweet at the LJN. And once again, I'm your host, Katie Chesney with LJN Radio, and I wish you the best of luck with your career.